Good morning, all. All right. Um, um, how about we uh, we pray before I preach from Matthew twenty-five? Uh, Heavenly Father, we do um, come before you, and we pray. Um, yeah, in in light of that song, Lord, uh, these lives that we live aren't our own, uh, but they belong to you. Uh, Lord, we, um, as the psalmist says, Lord, we. Uh, we look to you um, as your servants, as the, the servants look to the hand of the master, Lord, so we look to you. Uh, and we pray that as this, uh, as we hear from your word this morning, um, that these lives um, that you command, Lord, would be, um, would be yours to shape, that our hearts would be yours, uh, and that we would listen and hear and, and obey uh, your word. In Christ's name, amen. Waiting uh, is hard. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I think there's something um, about the human condition that makes it hard uh, to wait longer than we think we should. Uh, We read earlier from 1 Samuel, uh, from the life of King Saul, and and I think that kind of illustrates that point very well, doesn't it? Uh, It's one of the more relatable stories in the Bible, I think. Uh, Samuel told Saul, when you're going to go up to fight against the Philistines, leading the armies of Israel, and he said, wait for me, I'll be there in seven days. Then we'll worship God together and then go to battle and we'll be victorious. Um, So Saul goes up to fight against the Philistines and he waits the seven days uh, and there's no sign of Samuel. Uh, Saul's getting antsy, the people are getting antsy, uh, and so eventually Saul goes, right then, I'll just have to make the sacrifice myself. Then we can get on with this battle and, and be done with it. So, of course, he makes the, the sacrifice, and would you believe it, right at that very moment, Samuel turns up. <laughs> I think that's such a relatable story. Um, how many of us have been in that sort of situation? You know, um, you're told, told to wait, um, you know, 10 minutes for dinner, um, or, or, or five minutes until the train gets here. Um, or, or you know the game is going to start at 7 o'clock and you're just waiting, or, or someone's going to meet you for coffee at 10 o'clock, and, and you, do, you know exactly when you, how long you have to wait, and then every minute beyond that seems absolutely interminable. Uh, well, Jesus knows we're like that. Um, and he knew we'd have to wait for his return. Um, I, waiting for Jesus' return is, is the most important and also the very longest waiting period in all of human history, except perhaps waiting for his first coming. Um, and so here in Matthew's Gospel, he gives us some help on what it looks like to wait for his return well. Uh, in our passage this week, he teaches us to wait through this story, a parable Um, and uh, we're going to spend about half our time looking at the parable, the first 12 verses, and then the other half looking at the last verse, which gives us, tells us what the point of it all is. Uh, So let's get stuck into the parable. Uh, Look with me at verse 1. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Uh, all of you, I'm sure, have been to a wedding. Uh, most of you will probably have been the, the couple in question at the wedding. 
Um, but I'm sure you've been to other weddings as well where you haven't been the, the, the bride and groom, bride or groom. Um, and of course, obviously Jesus is calling to mind a, the setting of a wedding in this parable. Um, obviously weddings in our culture are going to be different to what they look like in Jesus' culture. And as we go through, I'll, I'll bring out some of those differences to try and try and make it make a little bit more sense. Uh, but we're presented with the first difference, first major difference here in verse 1. In our culture, uh, the bridegroom is usually one of the first to arrive, uh, as you know, along with his groomsmen, and, and most of the rest of the guests arrive around the same time. Uh, and the bride uh, is the last to arrive. Uh, and, of course, when she gets there, then the ceremony starts and the party and all those sorts of things. Uh, in Jesus' culture, that was reversed. So the bride, along with her retinue, would wait for the bridegroom to come. Uh, so, And that's what we see in Jesus' parable here. The bridesmaids, these virgins, are, are waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. Uh, verse 2 says, uh, Five of them were foolish and five were wise, for when the oil, foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Um, now, these lamps were kind of important in, in the ceremony of the, the wedding. Um, this Jewish ceremony, uh, wedding ceremonies, or part of it anyway, was kind of a, a night parade type thing going on. Um, so they would have had lots of light and lots of uh, excitement, spectacular sort of lamps and candles would have been would have been all over the place. Um, and so that's why the the bridesmaids have these lamps that they're supposed to have ready. Um, commentators go back and forth on what these lamps look like. It could work either way, whether it's a, a little basin with a wick coming out of it uh, or one of those sort of sticks with a ball of oily rags on the end. doesn't particularly matter <clears throat> which way around it goes. Uh, but it's worth bearing in mind that these lamps are there to provide light not just for themselves but for this whole ceremony. So we've got these, uh, this Jewish wedding with five wise bridesmaids who have come prepared with plenty of oil and these foolish bridesmaids who didn't. That's the setup of this whole story. Uh, in verse 5, the story kind of really begins. Uh, the bri- the verse 5 says, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. I'm sure... Um, just as many of you have been to a wedding, I'm sure many of you have a story of a time when the bride was late to her wedding. Uh, before Beck and I were married, uh, we, um, we had a mutual friend and they were getting married. Uh, and this was an outdoor wedding in a, in a sort of a, a beautiful garden on the lawn. Um, and it was in the middle of summer, so it was really hot, really sunny, and the bride was late really late. They didn't serve any drinks. There wasn't even a tap to refill bottles. Um, There was very little shade. No one had sunscreen. Uh, We all just sort of had to wait there, swelter and burn as we waited for the bride to turn up. Um, I'm sure if, if the people in this story were were real people, this would be their story of when the 
groom uh, didn't turn up. Their, the, their, the groom was late story. Um, now, of course, punctuality in their culture wasn't necessarily as big of a deal as it was in, is it, as it is in our culture. But even still, the, the groom is pretty late. Um, if all of the bridal party have a chance to get a half a night's sleep uh, before the guy even turns up. Um, but it's not that that makes his lateness mem- would have made his lateness memorable for these uh, poor um, these poor bridal party. It was how that lateness spelled disaster for those foolish bridesmaids. Uh, read with me from verse six again. Uh, at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. So the late arrival of this groom caught those foolish bridesmaids out. They were woefully, shamefully unprepared for their role in this sort of wedding procession. Uh, Of course, if they were to use the oil that the wise women brought, then they then the whole party would, would run out a whole lot more quickly and, and the whole thing uh, would have been plunged into darkness. Uh, so the wise bridesmaids said, the only thing you can do is go and try and buy some. Which, given that that was the only thing they could do, that's what they did. The foolish bridesmaids scattered, uh, desperately trying to find a shopkeeper who will be willing to give them some oil. Uh, Which brings us to the end of the story, verses 10 to 12. Uh, While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Now, this is a shocking twist. This is, like, way out of left field. In fact, in the context of this story, this twist, I think, makes no sense. Like, these women are wedding guests. They're they're probably close friends of the bride. Obviously, the groom would know them. So, what, he's going to publicly disown them just because they forgot to pack a bit of extra oil? That does not make sense to me. That seems unbelievably petty. And I don't think this is just some cultural thing either. I'm pretty sure the disciples would have been going, hang on, that's a weird thing to say. That's a weird thing for the bridegroom to say. Uh, Verse 12 here is deliberately shocking. It's it's jarring. It's, It's inconceivable, really. Uh, In fact, I think it's deliberately designed to jolt you out of the story world. Because in verse 12, Jesus is bringing this this kind of innocent, humorous story crashing into the real world with all the force of a freight train. Turn back with me uh, in Matthew's Gospel, back to chapter 7. Matthew chapter seven uh, at the begin at sorry at the end of the Sermon on the Mount uh, in verses twenty two and twenty three. 
Jesus uh, is speaking about the day of judgment, the day when he returns. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. The bridegroom in Matthew 25 is directly quoting Jesus' own words from real life. His own words from future judgment day. And this reframes this whole parable. Uh, Like I said, this is bringing the story crashing into the real world. Uh, We see now that the bridegroom is Jesus. The bridesmaids are, are, are Christians. And the contrast is between wise True Christians who will be welcomed into the joyous, joyous, eternal marriage feast of God uh, and foolish, false Christians who will be publicly shamed, disowned and ultimately judged and cast out into hell. Which brings us to the point of all this. Verse 13, watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour. Uh, Before we think about what it means uh, to watch what Jesus is commanding us to do there, I want to first look at the second half of the verse, the, the, uh, the reason why we need to watch. Jesus says, for, that means this is the reason. Uh, The reason why you need to watch is you know neither the day nor the hour. Uh, If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, uh, as we've been in Matthew's Gospel, uh, you'll recognise that as pretty much what Jesus has been saying over and over again in the previous chapter. Uh, From verse 36 onwards, Jesus says it over and over again. Uh, chapter Chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus says, Concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Verse 42, you do not know what on what day your Lord is coming. Verse 44, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 50, the Master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And again, here in 25.13, you know neither the day nor the hour. Uh, Just as the bridesmaids didn't know when the groom would arrive, so we too don't know when Jesus will arrive. Uh, And of course, it's been around 2,000 years since Jesus said these words to his disciples. Uh, And the same is true for us. He could be arriving today or in thousands of years. Who can say? I certainly can't. You can't. No one on earth uh, knows the day or the hour. Um, I think it's also designed to to point us back in this this long speech, back to uh, the Uh, things Jesus said even earlier in chapter 24 as well. Um, From verses 4 to 28, Jesus listed a whole bunch of troubles that are going to come between uh, his first and second coming. Uh, Verses 4 and 5, Jesus says there'll be deception spread in his name. Uh, Verses 6 and 7, there'll be wars. Uh, Again in verse 7, there'll be famines and then there'll be earthquakes as well. Uh, Verse 9, persecution. Verse 10, division and betrayal. Verse 11, more deception. Uh, Verse 12, 12, um, lawlessness and apostasy. 
Uh, verses 15 to 21 goes on to talk about more persecution and unrest, and then verses 23 to 27, even more deception. And Jesus says in verse 8, that's just the beginning of birth pains. So not only could we be waiting a long time, we don't know how long we'll be waiting for, but it's going to be a hard wait. Uh, Most Christians throughout history, uh, and potentially even most or all of us in this room, will go through a lifetime of that tribulation that I just described and still die waiting for Jesus to come and put everything right. Uh, And so the temptation will always be to give up to find something else to set our hopes on or to lose hope altogether. Uh, As Jesus said in 24.12, the love of many will grow cold. Many. That's a sobering thought. Many people will lose their love for Christ because of how long they have to wait. Um, And I'm sure if if you, like me, are a believer in a world of unbelievers, then I'm sure you'll know that these dangers are real, constant real-world experiences. Deceit, false doctrines, wars, famine, earthquakes, persecution, division, betrayal, lawlessness. We see these things all the time on the news, don't we? We interact with these sorts of things on the internet, on, on social media. We discuss them with friends and family members, co-workers, uh, and even strangers as well, right? We do this on a daily basis. These are real-world dangers. And what's more, many of those friends and family members and even strangers tell us that those things were the things that convinced them that it's not worth being a Christian. How often have you heard things like, God can't possibly be in control of all these catastrophes. Or if he is, then he's obviously not loving because he doesn't do anything about them. Uh, They say, you know, you're delusional if you think uh, that there's a loving God in control of all this mess. You're a fool if your hope is set on someone who died 2,000 years ago coming again and putting all this right. You might as well just give up and, and do your best to make the most of this life that we have. All these things are are real temptations, real spiritual dangers, uh, and we need to watch out for them. And that's what Jesus says. Watch, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We need to watch out so that we don't give in to that temptation. We need to watch so that we don't give up. Uh, When the Bible tells us that we need to watch for Jesus' return, the point is not uh, that we need to watch for signs that he's coming. Uh, I've heard that so many times, you might have as well, Uh, but it just makes no sense in light of what Jesus has just said, you know. We don't know when he's coming, things will just keep on going uh, until he does. Um, And again, it's not like we're going to miss it if it happens, uh, if we're not watching out for it, you know. In the previous chapter, Jesus said, as the lightning shines from the east to the west and lights up the whole sky, uh, so will the Son of Man be. You're not going to miss it if you aren't paying attention. Um, By the time we know that it's happening, it'll be too late. That's the whole point of this parable. Watching doesn't mean trying to work out when Jesus will return. It's about how we live in the meantime. 
watching for that spiritual danger. Uh, the word translated watch is a military term. Uh, it's what the, the watchman does uh, when he stands in the tower and watches the horizon for enemies and dangers. Uh, as we wait uh, and as we suffer the tribulation that Jesus has just described in the previous chapter, we need to watch for that spiritual danger that this ongoing tribulation presents. We are to watch so that we don't fall away. We are to watch so we aren't those people whose love grows cold. We are to watch so that we're not deceived. Uh, We are to watch so that we are those that Jesus describes in the previous chapter who endure to the end and are saved. Uh, What does that mean in practical terms? Well, for one thing, it means being aware of the temptation in those tribulations. All these these situations, like I said, are are real-world situations. They're they're part of life, but they're also spiritual dangers. Uh, They raise questions, um, or they have the potential to raise questions about the truth of the gospel. But the gospel is up to those questions. It has the answers to those temptations that the pain and troubles of life raise. The gospel teaches us that Jesus will come, that we can wait for Jesus to return and put those things right. The gospel teaches us to groan with creation, uh, as the Holy Spirit does within us. In in inexpressible emotional turmoil, um, Paul says, over the state of this world, and yet in hope of the glory that is to come. Uh, We resonate uh, in the gospel with those who groan and suffer, and yet we express our hope in the coming of Jesus. Uh, Even though we don't know when that will be, uh, the gospel assures us that it will be. We know that it will happen, and he will make everything right in a way that we can't yet understand. And we know and we don't doubt that because the gospel tells us that God's love for the world, his commitment to justice, his new creation is a historical reality. Because God himself took on flesh to suffer with us and rose again as the first fruit of that new creation. God's love and justice and new creation are a present reality because that same God now lives within us. He works his love and justice and resurrection power within us, even as we wait for the full reality. And so we believe and we remind each other to believe and we call others to believe as well that the same God who took on flesh to experience that pain with us, the same God who now dwells within us and grieves over the state of the world, that same God who died to bring justice and rose to bring life will one day spread that justice and life throughout creation when he comes again. And the fact that he seems to be taking a long time to do that is not because he can't do it, the Bible says, but because he wants as many people as possible to enjoy that with him too. That's the point of this passage. That's what it means to watch. (coughs) 
this passage, of course, though, is not just a, um, a piece of advice or, or a command even only. It's a warning. I remember the parable ended with Jesus' words of judgment over those who aren't prepared to wait faithfully for his return. If the time of waiting is all too much for you, if you give in to that temptation that the troubles and pains of, the, of life present, if you're like those foolish bridesmaids off doing something else when the bridegroom returns, then you will hear those fearsome words of Jesus, I never knew you. And you'll be cast away from the joyous celebration that God will share with his people for eternity. You will be cast into hell, the place of eternal judgment prepared for those uh, who refuse to come and enjoy intimacy with God. Now, you know neither the day nor the hour when the bridegroom will arrive. It could be today or it could be beyond your lifetime. Uh, you could be a call to account today or you could be called to wait right up until your death. Either way, you need to watch and be ready. You need to be prepared to wait if he seems to be late and, and ready to worship if he comes today. Uh, now, those two things aren't separate. They're two sides of the same coin of what it means to believe in Jesus. Um, each day when I leave the house, Beck says to me, have you got your wallet, keys and phone? Um, that's kind of the bare minimum of what I need to make, make it through the day. Uh, the bare minimum you and I need to be ready for the day of the Lord uh, is to believe in Jesus. Believe that he is God come in the flesh. Believe that he died so that you could be forgiven and freed from judgment. Believe uh, that he rose again so that you could experience eternal life with him. Believe that he is king and lord of all the earth and that he has full, and, uh, full authority to command your life. And believe that he is coming again even if you don't know when. Uh, and again, that, that believing isn't a once-off event Really believing means believing that that's true, even over a lifetime of never seeing the Lord in the flesh, if that's how long it takes before he returns. Believe, watch, wait, be ready. All those things are, are, are one and the same uh, command. Be prepared to wait if he seems to be late and ready to worship if he comes today. Uh, but let me give you one final encouragement as we all wait. Uh, we've spoken a, a lot in this, uh, a lot today about this word watch. Uh, and if you read on in Matthew, it comes up again. Three times, in fact, in the very next chapter. Now that's no accident. Uh, in fact, if you're paying attention, you'll notice that this, that when it comes up again, uh, Jesus makes that same command to the same disciples on the same mountain just two days later. <clears throat> he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. But if you know the story, the disciples failed. They didn't watch, they didn't pray, they gave into temptation and like the foolish bridesmaids, they scattered when the key hour came. All of that was part of the plan of God. Part of the plan of how judgment would fall on the one man, Jesus Christ, uh, on behalf of his people. And that plan, that story continued as Jesus rose again, restored those same disciples who had deserted him. And even after his resurrection, they still doubted him as they worshipped, Matthew tells us. 
But here's the encouraging thing. After his resurrection, Jesus gave his disciples the assurance that they, that all that they had been waiting for was reality. The bridegroom had come and he would come, he will come again. The kingdom had come and it will come in its fullness. Authority, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And he will exercise that authority to bring justice and life and joy to this world. Christian, if it seems hard to wait uh, through a lifetime of suffering for something that you have no proof of, then I commiserate with you. In fact, that kind of waiting is not just hard, it's impossible. But we're not waiting for something without proof. We're waiting in expectation that God will fulfill all that he had already began. The beginning of our hope is a historical fact, a present reality. Uh, We're about to sing our final song. I want to encourage you with these words. Now, this song reminds us that our confidence, our hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus is strong as a mighty rock. He is our refuge in the coming wrath. The heart of the bride belongs to Jesus because we belong to that day, the day that is to come. When the night falls away and our Savior will return, for the glory of the King is in our hearts. And on that day, we will be seen for what we are.